Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clark Deals is where you go to save money each and every day with bargains posted around the clock. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, it's actually an update to a prior Clark Rageous Moment that has a good story for you about repairing your electronics if they break outside of warranty. And coming up yet later, are you an optimist? you a pessimist? Do you see dark clouds in front of you or do you see partly cloudy clearing skies? Well, I'm someone who a lot of times people make fun of as being unduly optimistic, unrealistically optimistic. Well, I want to share with you the benefits of being an optimist. There's actual real science behind the benefits to you I want to share with you. I want to talk right now about something that can be very confusing and can burn your wallet. It's when you rent a car. And I got a couple of things I want to alert you to. First things first, the car I just returned yesterday, I rent cars about 30 a year. When I returned it, took out my phone, and I have five beautiful pictures of my rental car. I mean, Joel, is that not a beautiful picture right there? I mean, you can scroll through. It's stunning. Stunning pictures of some kind of Nissan. It almost looks like you got it washed before you returned it, which would be ludicrous, right? Yeah, you never wash a rental car. But it looks perfect, right? Why would I take pictures of the rental car from every angle? Took me five to get every angle, every side. Well, there's a problem I read about on travel blogs all the time. Only has happened to me once ever renting a car. It's after you return a car and they check you in, they give you a receipt. Weeks later, you may get a legal kind of notice, probably not even written by a lawyer, just very legalistic sounding, saying you owe blah, blah, blah dollars for damage to the rental car. And how do you want to pay that bill? Or they've already charged your credit card for a UFO charge for damage to a rental car. So all the contracts say that your check-in slip is subject to later inspection of the vehicle. And if they find damage, they're going to bill you for it. Well, what I do because of this problem is I pull out my phone and I take pictures of the car when I return it. So that if later they try to say I damaged it, I've got pictures of all four sides of the vehicle. And if it's a long vehicle and takes more pictures, I take more. 
because I got unlimited storage with Google Photos. And that way, if I'm ever told I damaged a vehicle, I can send it back. Well, this particular rental car had a ding in it when I took it out, when I was originally renting it. And it had a nice chip in the windshield. So as the individuals renting me the vehicle, I walked thoroughly around it and I had it noted on the ticket that these things were there. Because if later they try to charge me, I got that. You've got to protect yourself. I want to tell you another thing. For years, at least 20 years, I've talked about the advantage when you fly into an airport that uh, vehicle rentals are really expensive. I used to talk about it taking a taxi or public transit in town. Now I say take an Uber or Lyft from the airport and go to an off-airport location to rent a vehicle, and usually you'll save a ton doing that, renting it off-airport. A lot of times rentals will be cheaper in town than an airport or at a suburban location, and many airports now impose massive uh, junk fees for picking up a vehicle rental at an airport. The city of Boston brilliantly came up with this idea years ago because they're taxing people who don't vote there. And so cities around the country have imposed higher and higher and higher junk fees for renting at an airport. So people have been doing the idea I'm talking about. So now cities are changing their rules, changing their ordinances or laws, where if you pick up a rental vehicle in town with an out-of-state license, you have to sign an affidavit saying that you did not fly in in the last 12 hours, some places, 24 hours, others. And so my oldest brother, the one who has no home and no vehicle, and they just travel the world, he and his wife uh, were renting in Salt Lake City where they have one of these nuisance fees if you run away from the airport. And they're in Park City, Utah right now for three months. And so they rent vehicles like four weeks at a time. So they rented one for one day, took it back, and then went and rented their vehicle in town. So they were outside of what was either a 12 or 24-hour rule. And it saved them a ton on their vehicle. A lot of extra work to save money. But you got to know the car rental game, if you don't know how it's played, it can burn you. Ken is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ken. Hi, Clark. Ken, you have a question about your mortgage. No one has asked me in probably 10 years. <laughs> I've, I've tried to find this out from uh, other people, and I haven't gotten a true answer. Um, uh, do you want me to go ahead with a question? Yeah, please. Um, I have a 15-year mortgage on my house at 3%. I'm paying it off in 10 years, and I try and save every dollar I can. Um, I know the interest rate is calculated daily. Actually, it's not my... on a mortgage. Oh, I thought it was. Okay. No, when I, so when there, I... are, there are a very, very, very small number of mortgage loans that calculate daily interest, but that's very rare. Almost all mortgage loans are calculated 
as a monthly interest. When you pay one off, a lot of people think the interest is calculated daily because when you pay off a loan or you sell a home, the interest is in that case calculated on a daily uh, amount that they calculate based on 360 days of the year. I don't know what happened with the other five days, but they calculate it out. But actually, with a mortgage, the interest is calculated on a monthly basis, uh, probably 99.9% of the time. Well, then you might have answered my question, but uh, I know the mortgage is due on the 1st. What I do is I use the money until the 14th because it's not late until the 15th, and then I pay it on the 14th. Am I shooting myself in the foot by doing this either interest-wise or credit-wise, credit score-wise? Neither. You are are not delinquent, and you have made that payment uh, before the grace period is over. And you're earning interest those days of the month. If you do an online bank, you're earning two point something percent against a three percent mortgage. So you're playing the system the way you're allowed to do so. The only Great. problem comes for you if the payment does not post on time. So if it were me, well, I would pay like one additional day early just to make sure it's always in there. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I do an online payment, and it seems to take exactly on the same day that I pay it, but you might be right, and maybe I ought to do it on the 13th instead of the 14th day. Because let me tell you, that's not an excuse if you hit the 15th, because they're like, well, you know, it's actually due on the 1st, and it's a courtesy that you're not late till the 15th. So I would give yourself one additional day of wiggle room there. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Sure, and congratulations on being in a position where you're going to have that paid off in 10 instead of 15. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That's going to be great. Yeah, being mortgage debt-free is a great, great feeling. Lindy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lindy. Hi, how you doing? Great, thank you. How can I be of service to you today? Well, I'm just curious, whenever I'm in my email, I know not to click, you know, onto um, links, especially if people I don't know, but what about when you get all of this email and you want to unsubscribe, is it okay to click on that? Yes, you can. Let's say you've subscribed to a sales notice that comes to you from a retailer, or you, like I do, I subscribe to like a zillion different airfare kind of things because I'm obsessed but I with travel. I haven't subscribed to these. Oh, if you have not subscribed. So these are spams. Right. So with spam email, things that come unsolicited, it's really best not to open them and not to click on anything in there, including unsubscribe. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Because if if it was something that you legit had signed up for, let's say it's a, a clothing store that you really like and you subscribe for their electronic sales flyers that come as an email every day or every week or whatever, and you're like, you know, I really don't want those anymore, then it's fine to click on unsubscribe and do right. that. Right. 
Uh, you can also use unroll.me. Have you ever heard me talk about that? No, I haven't. Unroll.me, instead of .com, it's .me for unroll me. Um, we'll go through all the subscriptions you have and ask you if you still want each of them. And if you don't, they handle the unsubscribing for you. Oh, okay. That's, so for it's unroll? Legit, that's for legit stuff, and it's free. It's unroll, what was it? Unroll.me. Oh, okay. Or unroll me, but unroll.me. But right. again... That'd be with, perfect. I'm getting tons of these. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you don't want to... You don't want to even do anything with an email you get that's from somebody you didn't sign up with or anything like that because you got too much chance that that is some kind of uh, virus in those emails. It's some kind of scamster sending those emails. So what I do is when I see one come into my end basket that I'm not interested in at all, I just delete it. I don't open it. I don't do anything. I don't try to unsubscribe nothing. Right. Okay, perfect. Well, good. I'm glad I was able to help. So when are you coming to Portland, Oregon again? I saw you about 14 years ago. 14? Yeah, I've been to Portland many times since 14 <laughs> years ago. Well, and, uh, things happened in between. So <laughs> I'd, I'd love to come back to Portland. It's been too long since I've done the trip to Portland and Seattle where I go visit with our listeners and I really need to get that done. So I, that's probably my bad that I've not been out for a visit. So forgive me for that. That's okay. Listen to you every day. Well, glad you do. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Okay. You too. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Lindy. Apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Today's Clark Rageous moment is actually a follow-up on a prior Clark Rage that I've got good news for you. So let me tell you what I was uh, Clark raged about. Apple had been ridiculously stubborn and difficult about people fixing Apple devices wherever they wanted to. Apple wanted the revenue from repairs, and they would not supply genuine Apple parts to independent repair shops or anything like that. And that led to a, a lot of conflict, some legal action, and now Apple has done something really, really good. Apple is now selling parts to independent repair shops. We'll be in a position to fix iPhones and other Apple devices. You know, Apple devices are wonderful devices. I mean, no question, the, the company builds really, really great artsy devices, but they're very expensive, and the cost of repairing them has been outrageously expensive because it's been basically an Apple-controlled monopoly, 
And now with independent shops being able to get the repair manuals from Apple and get official real Apple parts, it means that the marketplace is going to be able to do its thing. The prices for repairs will be more competitive. There will be more choices for you. And the backlog that people have had trying to get devices repaired at Apple, well, that backlog should not melt away entirely, but it will be a much better story. And, you know, I've been a big advocate of what are known as right-to-repair laws, where independent shops would have the right to parts from various auto manufacturers who refuse to sell, in many cases, to independent shops and only sell to their own dealers, things like that. And so in industry after industry, the free market should handle this instead of a manufacturer operating a closed shop. And Joel, I think we have time for an Ask Clark here. Yeah, Clark, let's do it. John and Marge had the same question. Their question is, is home title fraud a big enough problem to buy title lock protection insurance? And the opinion of, we went to five real estate lawyers, and it was five for five that all five thought that this is something you should not spend money on. I get a number of questions about it. It's heavily promoted on the web and in advertising and radio and TV. And I don't recommend that you buy this. Uh, Title fraud can be ugly, but it's rare enough that I wouldn't spend money on this. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So a friend once said to me, that I was the most ridiculously optimistic person he'd ever known. A fellow talk show host once said that I was so ridiculous that it was like I was the band leader on the Titanic as it's sinking, asking the fellow band members where we were going to be playing next week. I mean, that's just who I am. Maybe I am unrealistically optimistic, but... I'd rather be that than be somebody who's just, woe is me, it's going to be terrible. I remember there was a book that I used to read to my kids that had a character named Eeyore. I don't remember I don't remember what that's from. Is that from Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. And Eeyore was always <laughs> the most negative character ever in a book. No matter what it was, it was going to be terrible. And... uh I just I just get a kick out of people who always see life as dark and terrible or whatever. You know, somebody who say, it's so beautiful, and they, and they say, yeah, but it's going to rain later. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. There's a statistical enormous advantage to you if you are genuinely an optimistic person. 
there was research done at Boston University School of Medicine that found a tremendous benefit from being an inherently optimistic individual. It was written up in the National Academy of Sciences Journal and found that people live significantly longer, men and women, if they're just innate optimists. And so here's something I did not know that was in the research. Do you know that your viewpoint being optimistic or pessimistic, 25% of it you can blame on genes. It's your parents' fault. If you're a pessimist, in part, they get one quarter of the blame. Or if you're an optimist, your parents get one quarter of the credit. The other three quarters, that's on you and me. So what's the actual advantage? You live roughly 15% longer accounting for background, education, work, all those kind of things. Did I say income? All those things. You live roughly 15% longer as an optimist versus a pessimist. So women who are optimistic are 50% more likely to live to age 85 or later. Men who are optimistic are 70% more likely to live to age 85 or longer. So, you know, I think about the questions I get about Social Security and people who get all over me for saying you should wait really long to take your first Social Security check. And they say, well, what if I die the day after my first check? And I've listened to you and I've waited till I'm 70 years old to take it. Well, I'd say that's a pretty pessimistic way to look at life, right? If on the other hand, you expect you're going to live a long life and you don't, well, you're not going to know anyway. (laughs) But if you do live that long life, you're going to be really happy you waited for that check. So you can't just say today, hey, I'm going to stop being a grouch and being so pessimistic. But over time, you can really set about changing mental attitude and and adopt a positive mental attitude. You even see it in your health. People who are really pessimistic tend to take longer to recover from illnesses. People that are really positive and upbeat They have not miraculous recoveries, but they tend to be quicker. And remember, these are all trends and tens. It's not automatic that the happiest person's going to live the longest and the saddest person lives the shortest. But you want to go with the overall, the trend is your friend. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. So, John, are you an optimist or a pessimist? I try to be optimistic, but sometimes the the negative side gets to you. But overall, I'm positive. Well, that's great. So how can I serve you today? I was looking at my FICO score on two different credit cards. 
And I first looked at one, and it's at 803. And uh, that's actually a little lower than it's usually. So I went on another card, and it said it was 832. And it seemed like quite a difference. And I just wondered, how, how does that happen? Okay, so there are two explanations. One of them is that one of the two credit cards may be using the Vantage scoring system instead of the FICO scoring system. Do you know what Vantage is? No. Uh-uh. Okay. So Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian hate FICO because FICO has had a near monopoly on the credit scoring that lenders use to make loans. So Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian formed a new um, company that they own jointly that produce this new scoring system called Vantage. And they're trying to get Vantage adopted by lenders and push FICO to the side. The Vantage scoring model uses slightly different factors to score you than FICO does. And so you could have one credit card company giving you a, a FICO and another giving you a Vantage. And that would be one possibility. The second possibility is both of the scores, the 803 and the 832, could both be FICOs, but one of them could be relying on a credit report from one bureau and the other a credit report from another bureau. So you don't um, don't have a FICO score. You have a ton of FICO scores. And the reason is, is that you're always going to have at least three, because what each uh, credit bureau has on you, their files will vary on what they show about you. Okay. Then, then the second factor is lenders can use different FICO versions, because FICO has multiple versions of scoring models as they learn new ways of doing things, or it could be a specialized one. Like you have a FICO score for buying a car that would be different than the FICO score you have for getting a credit card, which would be different than the FICO score for getting a mortgage. So all you you want to worry about is your range. If you're at 803 and 832, your first digit being an 8, you're what they call in in the banking industry a golden borrower. You're the lowest risk kind of borrower. Anytime you're above 780, uh, some lenders would say 760, you're pretty much the lowest credit risk available for a loan. And when you go above 800, whatever, you're fine. Well, that's good to hear. The only bad news is that I'm usually lower than my wife. Yeah, well, (laughs) you know... If she's close to 850, she's obviously a perfect individual, and you married up. That is true. I tell her that. Well, great. So I hope that clears it up. And go look at those two credit cards again. They will disclose to you, in under the, where they gave you the score, they'll disclose to you whether they're using Vantage or FICO. Or their own. they could even be using their own proprietary made-up system for coming up with a score like uh, Credit Karma does. 
Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. I enjoy your program an awful lot. Thank you. And I, I hope that that was clear enough because uh, credit reporting, the more you know about it, the more you can get confused by it. Charlie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Charlie. Hi. How are you? Great. Thank you, Charlie. I understand you're looking to own your own home. Well, I, I'm actually looking to get some information for someone else that is looking to own their own home. Oh, okay. Well, how can I help with that? Well, I, they talked to me, asked me a question about a company that was a lease to buy, and most lease to buys, yeah, my thought exactly, they're not always on the up and up. And this particular company had some benefits that I was not sure because I've been told if it sounds too good to true, most times it often is. And so, what do they promise? Well, they promised that you would go into a buy-to-lease for three years. Uh, During the three years, they would deduct 25% of your payment, your monthly payment for equity. At the end of the three years, you had the option to buy. They would give you a 10% equity down payment. If you you broke the lease, you would get 50% back of what you paid for the equity. However, they would purchase the home outright, so you would essentially be buying the home from them because they would purchase it. You would buy it at the end of your three years at a predetermined sale rate or price. Okay, so the only thing you've said that's different than a normal lease purchase is that they're not doing a lease purchase with a property they already own. Uh, Right. You come up with the property or they propose properties to you, you agree to that, they buy it, they lease it to you with the option to purchase, and then at the end, at the already agreed to price, you buy it. Um, So the devil would be in the details. In the the, uh, lease purchase option, what do you, as an example, one thing that we've heard in the past from people doing lease purchase options, which this has become a thing only in the last few years to worry about, what are you responsible for during the three years that you're a tenant? Well, according to what we found, you're virtually responsible for nothing. They make the maintenance repairs. They, well, they take 5% of your monthly payment and put it aside for maintenance. So you really you're you're responsible for what's considered a term minor repairs, depending on what that term minor re- is. They pay all the closing costs. They pay the insurance. So you're virtually not responsible for anything until you decide you want to buy it. Well, I mean, without knowing more about the particular contract, what you've said sounds like it's not a scam. It okay. sounds, on the face of it, of what you've described as a normal kind of lease purchase, except for the fact that the property is identified after uh, you want to do business with them and they buy it instead of it being something already in their inventory. Okay. And so that would be different. Now, remember, a lot of people who would do the lease purchase option would not follow through. So I'd imagine they also have homes in inventory from people who didn't follow through. But what I like in this circumstance with any lease purchase, I always say the same thing. 
regardless of who's peddling it, that your friend go pay a real estate lawyer, not any lawyer, somebody who's a real estate lawyer, to okay. review the contract and make sure it's not a one-sided contract or that you're getting hurt by somebody who is trying to take advantage of you or scam yes. you. Absolutely, and that's what I told them. It sounded pretty good, but I would, if I was looking at doing it, have it looked at by an attorney just to make sure. So yes. I, that's what I wanted to find out, if in fact it was something that might be a scam before they got too involved in it. No, I mean, any time you do a lease purchase, there's always danger with them. The Number one, that you paid extra and you're not able to go through with buying it later. You paid beyond marketplace rent. And so that is number one at the risk. But number two is what kind of agreement are you actually signing? And you want to make sure that agreement is fair to both parties. Jeanette joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jeanette. Yes. I understand that you are having a personality disorder where you keep calling yourself. Yeah, right. (laughs) I've had several calls, and the caller ID shows up with my name, and it's the phone I am talking on. Isn't that um, the most the, annoying time. thing? It I, is. It I, is. I, I'm getting so fed up with all the caller ID spoofing, and I had one. Um, gosh, this is crazy. I had one last week that was popping up all different things, and I've got the caller ID from my cell phone provider where it gives what it thinks is the company name or individual name in addition to the number. And mm-hmm. so it one time, and they were all coming from the same area code, one time it said it was coming from the Ritz-Carlton. And that seemed <laughs> weird to me because, you know, I'm too cheap to spend that money, right? And yeah. another time it came from a real estate agency. And the next time from the same area code, it had a caller ID of a car dealership. And I'm trying to remember, there was one more, but they were all coming from this same area code. And so I don't answer any call unless it's a family member or friend, period. But how weird, what are they hoping to accomplish by having it have your name and phone number in the caller ID? Well, I I knew it was a scam because, I mean, somebody legitimate isn't going to do that. But uh, so I finally listened to part of one of them, and it was a computer issue and something about my IP address. Oh, you know, that's a really hideous, that's a hideous scam, Jeanette. Do you know how that plays? I assume they'd take over my computer and I wouldn't be able to use it again. That is exactly right. And then they hold your, it's called (laughs) ransomware. They hold your computer ransom, and unless you pay them money, you can never use that computer again. Yeah, so, so I wasn't. I just, I just hung up. So that is perfect. And they kept calling. They called back a couple more times after that, and I just, you know, no, I wasn't going to answer. <laughs> yeah. So these, I think it's now fifty billion junk phone calls a year that we're getting collectively across the country. Sometimes I think I get half of them. So. Well, then I'm getting the other half. The other half, yeah. <laughs> so you you do the right thing if you don't answer the calls. And I'm even reluctant to listen to the voicemails, but I listen just because it tips me off to things that people are going to call and ask me about here on the show. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.